The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Welcome to The Exchange, a conversation with people of interest to business and financial professionals around the world. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Reuters Breaking Views, which, if you didn't already know, is the global financial commentary arm of the mighty Reuters News. This week, I sat down here in Zurich for what might best be described as an exit interview with Sergio Ermonti. Sergio has been the chief executive of Swiss banking powerhouse UBS for 10 years now. But he's about to hand over the keys to the kingdom, and literally, the UBS logo is three interlocking keys, to former ING CEO Ralph Hamers. In keeping with Swiss tradition, of course, it's one of the most orderly transitions I've ever seen in banking, with Ralph and Sergio overlapping since September 1st until the end of October. On the eve of his departure, and before he takes the chairman's seat at Swiss Re, Sergio and I talked about his career, about the highs and lowlights of his tenure, some unfinished business, and the prospect for consolidation among European banks. To sum it all up, he thinks there's going to be a lot more M&A in banking and across European borders. And in looking back, he wishes he had focused less on dividends and more on stock buybacks when returning capital to shareholders. It's an interesting debate. In any event, give a listen to my conversation with Sergio Armonti. Sergio, it's been uh, 10 years that you've been running UBS, but you have one month to go. Uh, What are you going to try to get accomplished in the one month before you, I wouldn't want to call it entirely retiring because you're going to be the chairman of Swiss Re, but what's the next month going to look like for you? Well, quite intense. I think that's uh, already uh, after the summer break, uh, you know, uh, I had a, a couple of weeks uh, still uh, preparing, then uh, Ralph uh, joined, and uh, it's very intense, uh, and over processes, year-end is always about uh, planning for, you know, the usual succession planning exercise, uh, bottom-up, uh, uh, budgeting, um, and uh, um, for the next three years, and uh, strategy uh, discussions with the board, so was a you know, very intense in ending over to Ralph. And so because uh, Ralph started September 1st? Yeah. So, that, I mean, it's, it's quite a smooth transition. I'm looking on the walls here in your office. You've got pictures of your executive committee or your executive team over the, over the years. Um, what is it, how have you done that? How have you done this handover? Do you, do you sort of go in and meet each, everybody together and? No, 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 actually. We do some meetings together, mm-hmm. but uh, the vast majority is time for him to get to know the bank and, and the people themselves, uh, themselves and, uh, and, uh, and uh, so having uh, his, his own time. And uh, we, we get together twice a week uh, to, you know, update uh, each other on, on, on that, le- and, uh, you know, for clarifications. So uh, I think that's uh, is a good, is a good uh, <laughs> compromise between doing things together and letting him also feel. On yeah, I mean, it would, I mean, it's got, it's, it's, it's smooth. It's a, it's a, it's, there's well, nothing to see this kind of thing in like, you know, yeah. let's put it across the street. There was a, a bank that did not have such a smooth transition. Well, I don't, I don't think we need to go across the street to look at, uh, even in our own organization, the last uh, uh, changes, the last three, four changes, uh, before uh, this one uh, were quite uh, uh, dramatic or uh, unexpected, and uh, and in that in that sense, uh, it always been my desire, and also uh, uh, with 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 Axel Weber, we always wanted to make sure that we had uh, a professional and proper uh, transition, uh, and uh, and uh, that would also reflect on who we are today. Right. 
Oh, well, you're a Swiss bank, so it's like a Swiss clock. You guys, you know, to the to the to the number, Absolutely. but also the stability, well. the sustainability yeah. uh, of how we do things, uh, what we do, was uh, one of my uh, major, um, you know, objective uh, uh, over the years. And and you know, I I don't think we could have finished in any other way that we are doing it right now. What What was the first piece of advice you gave Ralph? What he, what, either before he took the job or when he got here, or what's sort of like the one. Well, it's still the same. I think that's uh, well. Is is the same that I followed, to be honest, when I started. Uh, is uh, is is uh, resist uh, uh, the populism, uh, the financial populism that goes on right now, and resist uh, uh, the temptation of uh, of uh, uh, you know, uh, is like Adam and Eva, resist mm. the temptation of of uh, doing things that uh, seem so obvious for for people that don't fully understand uh, the bank and how we function come up with your own views and then you know no matter what they are then just follow them through all right let's let's go let's go a little blast to the past a little bit think about the your career as uh, not just at UBS which has certainly been the last 10 years running the show but what I mean you've been in banking since <laughs> 45 years 40 since so 1975 or so you yeah, st- you were years you were like a kid I was a kid I was a teenager that uh, yeah. Uh, had uh, no intention to work in banking, but the Swiss uh, uh, system allows uh, younger people like I was uh, back then to start a career by being an apprentice, uh, going to school, working, and uh, while keeping option open for uh, further developments, uh, uh, you know, academic or in, in, in your own professions. And uh, my intention was to become a sport teacher. Uh, because my desire really? was to be yeah so and and, and well, like I a guy who it, taught kids how to play sport yeah sports or bec- as a plan B I mean right. of course my 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 desire was to be a professional as uh, football player a soccer ah, player okay right but, uh, but that of didn't course, work out of course I knew at fifteen <laughs> that okay it's not such a solid uh, <laughs> basis uh, plan B was become a sport teacher and then. Uh, I got assigned to to the uh, the securities and, and effects uh, around the effects department uh, of the bank uh, when I started. And I which got bank there. was that? Corner Bank is a mm-hmm. small bank in in, uh, in local bank in Ticino. In, uh, and I, I got fascinated by uh, the stock uh, markets, uh, the, the effects markets. Uh, you know, it was uh, not so boring. So uh, after all, and uh, so after a few months, my impl- uh, the plan B became be a. a, a, a a trader. I but wanted to become a trader. So, so, but not at fifteen. You yes, kept at really? sixteen. Okay. So, so then, what happens? I don't even. How do you? Well, I started to a... really think about my entire. Uh, you know what I needed to do to be a trader. So uh, I needed to think about uh, picking up uh, different skill sets that were not uh, in addition to what I would finish and, and accomplish when I was eighteen. And uh, so my entire focus was only on that. Right. And so. How long before you, like, when did you actually become a banking employee or, or a trader? Early, 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 when was it, 20, around 22, 23, 22. So I, I, I started to be involved in back office and then they put me on, 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 on the front with, with uh, you know, starting to buy and sell securities. And, uh, and uh, I, I was in Germany for a while uh, working for Bank of America on the FX department. Uh, when I was speaking up German, mm-hmm. so um, it was a very exciting uh, time. And then, uh, uh, yeah, when I was 25, I got uh, I finished my uh, uh, further 
um, qualification as a certified uh, banker in Switzerland, uh, which was a necessary step to get uh, you know more background in terms of academic. Uh, and uh, and then I moved to to Citibank to be a trader in convertible and and then warrants and options, uh, which was the thing that fascinated me the most. And that that's where my career outside the local bank in Ticino started. Right. Are you good at math? Here in Zurich. You must be good at math. No, not particularly good at math, but uh, you like order, it. You yeah, must. but I you know I like I like numbers. Uh, I was very good in uh, in accounting. Um, at school, and uh, so uh, that's probably. So when did you leave the trading floor? When did that? When did you go next to the next step to? Well, it was a gradual, board? a gradual uh, change because I, I think that in my in my uh, uh, twenty seven, twenty eight, I got a great chance uh, to build up the Swiss franc capital market business for Merrill Lynch in Switzerland, and uh, it was a unique chance. I mean, from scratch. And I was trading uh, between uh, nine o'clock and, uh, and and four o'clock, and uh, before and afterwards, organizing uh, uh, the business, and you know, even looking at back office issues, and, and managing you know a small unit here in Switzerland, and and in that sense was the transition from being a poor pure trader, right. from starting to be a manager, and then eventually. I, 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 I was named uh, head of um, derivatives in Europe, equity derivatives in Europe uh, uh, in the early 90s. And then that was the time in which I exited trading, really, and started to be more of a manager. Right. And then when did you head to London? Was that where you sort of... Was uh, 90, 92, 93. What, uh, was, the, what was the occasion? For London, why did well, you? Well, was uh, uh, I, I was named. Uh, oh, for this uh, job, uh, yes, equity, yeah, yeah. head of equity derivatives in Europe uh, for At Merrill Lynch. Merrill Lynch, yeah. right? Okay, and then so so then remind me how you ended up back in Switzerland. <laughs> was this a long journey? Well, you were in Italy at one. No, point. it was no? a long journey. Yeah, okay. It was a very long journey. So from from there, I went to uh, mid nineties, a couple of years in New York, uh, running uh, global equity derivatives and equity linked products, and then back to Europe to run equities in Europe for Merrill Lynch always. And then uh, in the last uh, uh, two and a half three years, I was running co-heading uh, equities for Merrill Lynch. Then I left Merrill, uh, took a break, a long break, and then um, uh, after Unicredit, both uh, HVB and Bank Austria, I joined them to put together all their investment bank uh, capabilities, and uh, and so I landed. You know, basically my first two years, three, two and a half, three years, where half of the week more was in Munich mm -hmm. or or Vienna. And the rest in Milan, and then the last uh, couple of years was more in Milan because I, by then I was one of the deputy of uh, C, uh, CEOs of uh, Alessandro Profumo, and uh, so then it took uh, after the Alessandro left. I, I also left, and uh, the day after I resigned, I got a call from. Uh, Aussie Grubel, and uh, so we started to uh, follow on, up on come on, on back to Switzerland on previous discussions, and that for me was like okay, I have a chance to be part of uh, the management board of uh, the largest bank in Switzerland. For me, it was like okay, this is you know, this is the end of you know, it's a good corner hand <laughs> uh, of, uh, of, of 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 my uh, career, having uh, worked for always for mainly for you you know U.S. firms and and uh, or non-Swiss firms mm. uh, was very appealing. And then of course uh, uh, back then uh, then uh, things have changed, and uh, there was a chance for me to help 
reposition UBS. Uh, you know, I didn't definitely expect to be uh, named after six months as CEO of the bank. Right, right. Well, then that was just after the financial crisis. Then, or the well, that was, no, that was, uh, yeah, after the financial crisis, I think that Caspar uh, uh, Filiger, uh, the chairman, and Ozzy Grubel, uh, de facto, they stabilized the bank and uh, uh, in terms of uh, its position, and it was clear that we were coming out of uh, the near-death experience that we had. And uh, yeah, UBS started to, but then we had this uh, Adoboli uh, fraud uh, case uh, right. that uh, brought back, uh, you know, a little bit the bank and triggered um, uh, uh, the change uh, in management. And I, 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 I uh, you know, Aussie resigned, and so all of a sudden I found myself yeah. uh, a CEO. Yeah. So yeah, okay, what? It, well, let's think back. So we can think about the last ten years, but think even longer than that, given you've been in this business for so long. What's like what has fundamentally changed about the banking industry? Like if for, to a young Sergio Armotti thinking about joining in where Lugano and saying, yeah. you know, okay, here's here's what the industry is going to look like. How different would it be today if to that young guy in Lugano? Well, I would say that if you really look at uh, 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 what is, the, first of all, I would say the role of the bank has definitely changed. Uh, um, because of, uh, of um, competitive um, uh, developments, but also, I would say, fundamentally, uh, regulation and, and technology. Uh, regulation, I mean, if I, if, maybe not necessarily from back then, but already back then, I remember in my young, um, you know, in the early days uh, when I was going through the entire bank working and, and being closed uh, also to different kind of businesses within the bank. I do remember that credit uh, were granted to clients based on balance sheet and, and so, but also a lot was due of personal right. assessment, right? Right, right, right. And, and, and actually I can tell you that even today I see, uh, because UBS, we basically do business with generations, right? And how many of our clients tell us that them or their father or their uh, grandfather uh, uh, were thankful to, to the bank because they were important at that point in time to help them to become a shareholders or give them loans to be a shareholder. Right. And so something that today is almost unimaginable. Why? Because now it's entirely based on data. Data and, 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 and capital and, and restrictions. And so the role of the banks have changed also in that dimension so that we were much more uh, um, uh, focused on, 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 on in the past on judging people and judging businesses and, and not and, and being able to deviate from models. Not that we like models, but if you don't do it today, the capital demand for putting too much um, uh, um, uh, discretion uh, are not there now. We, we know that banks have, have not really used uh, the flexibility that was given before the financial crisis to their merit because, you know, we abused uh, some of the system sure. and therefore now we created the, the price. Risk. Created the risk that now, created risk. Now, the now we pay the price. But yeah. if I go back, uh, that, that element is, is quite clear. So the role of the banks, of course, uh, and, and but then the second one is, of course, I'm, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, uh, but you know, since uh, we speak about <laughs> how many years I've been around, I was fascinated when I saw my first fax machine <laughs> coming into into uh, the back office of the FX uh, uh, department where I was working, right. which could you know it made our lives so 
more easy, right? Yeah. Compared to having uh, to confirm uh, a trades with a telex, uh, right, right, right. Uh, all day long, and 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 so, and 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 if you think about what has changed in terms of uh, the use of technology, uh, so things have profoundly changed. But one thing has remained: banks have always demonstrated their ability to adapt and evolve. Now, of course. The banking system right now is a little bit more fragile in that sense, and also much more crowded as an industry than uh, than uh, than back then. Uh, but uh, still, uh, I can feel a lot of changes. But they were gradual, and only when you really look back, you realize how much has changed. Mm, yeah. So um, let's just think back the last ten years. So in the, even running UBS, um, you know what what do you proudest of like I mean what are your the, the accomplishments that the bank has has made that you are kind of you know that when you think back to your 10 years here are the here are the markers here are the the things that you're you're proudest of well I think that's uh, you know the, uh, the and you can't say making money no, <laughs> no yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, but you know, you're, you're right. I think that because the most natural way to, but but making, you know, uh, definitely the fact that you know, although uh, you know, I have to, I'm the first one to say that is is uh, disappointing to see that the stock is more or less where I where I was. Uh, yeah. you know, the market cap is 35, 36 million. Uh, we made 36 billion of profits in the last 10 years. So we made the market cap in terms of profits in the last 10 years. And uh, two thirds went back to shareholders uh, by dividend and a little bit of uh, share buyback, but the vast majority in cash dividend. We beefed up our capital by nine billion, so we reinforced our capital base to fulfill uh, regulatory uh, requirements, deleverage, de-risk the bank without asking a single cent to our shareholders. So, which yeah. I think that not many banks have done such a restructuring without doing Certainly a capital increase. Certainly in Europe, increase. there's very few that have. Without doing a capital increase. Uh, I think that the strat, you know, maybe the 14, 15, 14, 15, at that point in time, starting to hear media analysts, competitors, uh, but talking about doing it a la, a la UBS was yeah. definitely probably one of right one which of is when you guys had de-risked the bank the risk and, and, and we were stra starting to see income. the uh, so I could I could go on with that but if you if you really measure and, and I, I, this is something that is quite clear to me the biggest achievement for me is that uh, you know uh, more than 85 uh, percent uh, of uh, more than 85 percent uh, of our employees are proud to work for UBS and I can tell you that that numbers when I started was uh, was lower than 85 much much lower than 85 so this is like an employee internal survey yes yeah, yeah. and that that's uh, the fact that clients uh, and, and 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 even competitors are looking uh, with us with respect and and and, and uh, you know that's that's the biggest achievement so i mean the rest are numbers the rest are things but you know for me to know that uh, my colleagues and myself feel proud of being associated with UBS and, and part of it is definitely the best achievement. Okay, let's go back to the stock price, though, not to give you too much <laughs> grief on that. But but no, I mean, you know, so it's flat, which, by the way, is better than a lot of the European banks have certainly yeah. had over the past 10 years. But what, why isn't the market giving, and it, obviously, European banks in general are getting are, the market is not loving them. You've got interest rates that are seem to be at zero or negative forever. You now have possibly rising defaults as a result of COVID uh, nineteen. 
um, what, you know, this sort of lack of growth in the economies in Europe, including Switzerland. Um, what's but what what what's your like? How do you how does that get rectified? Whether it's Ralph or an, yeah, his successor, I mean, how would no? That... Look, you know, the, 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 what, I mean, I I don't think there is any anything magic. Uh, you know, I, I think that I mentioned uh, uh, some of the achievements and 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 the fact that we do risk and recapitalize the bank without doing that. But uh, yeah. that has come to a cost. The cost was to contain growth. By the way, we have been told uh, until very recently, at uh, the very minimum, that we should we were too big to fail and we should just shrink uh, for many many years, and and therefore, you know, uh, that was an element of our our thinking and our strategy. In any case, we wanted to be successful and show that we would build up a good basis for that. But that meant also, con- con- uh, you know, look at how we deploy resources and giving up a little bit of growth for better return on capital we deployed. Um, uh, we are well diversified by business, by geographies, but that diversification comes at a cost because being a systemically, a systemically uh, uh, in, um, uh, yeah. uh, in financial institution yeah. uh, globally uh, means uh, uh, you know having a multi-regulation and multi things. So all that. Uh, is, is, is definitely something that has been uh, somehow offsetting and uh, some of the good um, profitability that we, we, we developed. Now, if you look what we could have done different, I know today what I would do. One thing I would do different What's that? is pay less cash dividend. Because, you know, particularly over, if you assume that you have the same shareholders all across 10 years, mm-hmm. there is no difference. But since shareholders keep changing for right, right. different reasons, uh, depending on when they step in, they may have uh, a disappointing or a, a rewarding experience uh, uh, on their return on, 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 on the stock price plus the dividend they cashed in. Right. Uh, the truth of the matter is that today our stock price, instead of returning 18 of the 20 billion in cash, if we would have done buy share buys. buyback, we would be here talking about the stock is up 20, 30%, right? right? Zero-sum game, right, most likely. I mean, you'd, be buy- you'd have been buying the stock below book value for a large chunk of that well, period, that's, which that's is kind of the that's perfect the, that's Buffett the argument for why you should do it, isn't it? Mm, yeah, but uh, the, 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 uh, we, we really focus on trying doing the right thing, trying to do the right thing for shareholders. At that point in time, the real benefits that we had, because we were paying dividend out of uh, um, uh, out of uh, uh, reserve capital and not right. out of profits, therefore many of our shareholders had a tax advantage because they would not pay income tax on that. I they see. would pay. Uh, it, it would be capital returns, and so it would be treated like capital gain, and therefore with a completely different tax uh, or zero tax in Switzerland right. and, and lower somewhere somewhere else. Uh, and and our price to tangible was not so far off uh, one right, right so okay. and, and therefore from a mathematical standpoint it was more convenient maybe to give it in cash now you have to realize that people have short memories and the truth of the matter is today uh, it's quite clear they just say the stock is here exactly. they don't they don't necessarily give you credit for the cash for, that for they've been cash. yeah but that, it is what it is but, yeah you know. No, I mean, but the I, lesson, that's a lessons yeah. learned, and I I can tell you that I I and, and that's the reason I've I've been saying lately that by the way, uh, both from a regulatory standpoint of view and from a shareholder standpoint of view, 
it's absolutely wrong to demonize share buyback. Mm. Interesting. Okay, because it, you know, it, it, there's that big the U.S. Because you know, from a regulatory that. standpoint of view, you have a better flexibility as a bank when things go wrong. There is a cycle to stop a share buyback rather right. than canceling or cutting dividend. You know, is, which sends a terrible message. It's a terrible message. Whereas so, a buyback doesn't send. It sort of at least understand. You're right. That's you turn the spigot in a way that doesn't and, freak and, out and the market. And people are, is a completely different. Uh, and and the second one uh, from 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 uh, so so from a regulatory standpoint of view is a clear uh, 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 um, uh, plus and and from a shareholder standpoint of view of course for banks banks that are trading below tangible book or book value mm-hmm. in, in 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 a situation in which it's not easy also to to find uh, how to deploy capital in a sustainable way if you believe in your own business. I mean, it's absolutely crystal clear what to do. Well, yeah, absolutely. You're buying a, but you if know, you a are dollar stuck, eighty cents or whatever it is. Right, yeah. exactly. Uh, what can, can I? Ask you, one thing that we haven't discussed, and and actually hasn't been a big part hallmark of your ten years, partly because there was your predecessors had done a lot of of deals. I mean, consolidation in the industry. I mean, UBS was created by the merger of you know two Swiss banks. Um, you know, there has been a certain. A, a, there was a bit of. Oh, you bought Payne Weber. You bought Dylan Reed. I mean, I can go back. War, S.G. Warburg. All of that was, you know, predated your time. CEO. You, you have not. You didn't do a bunch of M&A. Do you? Um, what is your sort of view on consolidation in the European banking space over the next? I don't know. How would you see it panning out over the next yeah. five and ten years? Yeah. I, and what so role do you we, think we, a bank like UBS plays in that? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, if I look at at uh, my my tenure, uh, because of uh, you know our priorities and because the external uh, conditions and circumstances, uh, uh, we were focused on 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 stabilizing and and growing the bank and making it sustainable in a way that uh, uh, it, UBS would be in control of its destiny and have all the options open. So I think that. Uh, Today, UBS has the options open to pursue a pure organic strategy. And I believe that we have still a lot of room for growth. Uh, but of course, if you measure then by size and scale, you know, in some areas it may become more challenging. But in, in a nutshell, I can say that UBS has all the right ingredients and businesses to be able to continue to grow organically. When you look at the industry out there, um, uh, uh, doing transaction just for the sake of doing a transaction and, and gaining scale without any industrial logic doesn't make any sense. Because if you measure transaction by industrial logic and then financial uh, uh, merits, uh, you, 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 you already cut out a lot of potential you know, uh, combinations then there is the feasibility which nowadays is becoming more intense because you have a regulator, politicians, you have uh, shareholders, you have management. Don't forget us in the media. Media, I mean, you have everybody. So, uh, but, but maybe it's, it's almost like a question, um, uh, you know, that I could put back to anybody, you guys or everybody, say, if you look almost daily, there is consolidation across all our, all, all industries. Somebody has to explain me why it shouldn't be the case for one of the most um, uh, over uh, oversupplied, oversupplied uh, yeah. industry in, 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 in our economy. 
So, yeah. and, and this is structurally not possible anymore. There is too much. And, and by the way, if banks would be in generally profitable, but there are very few banks that, like us that are profitable. The rest is not even getting close to pay for the cost of capital. But and a lot of those are not, they don't have shareholders in the same way that you are. No, they don't have a shareholders, but the real issue is to say, uh, uh, in my point of view, the, the need of consolidation is crystal clear. So it's only a matter of time and which combination works. And uh, But, you know, hoping that all of a sudden the economy and interest rates and you know, something's magic will happen that bails out everybody is wishful thinking. So there is a point in time in which, you know, if banks are not able to um, uh, produce the capital necessary to sustain the, uh, the existing business or to grow the business, yeah. they will be forced to go out and ask uh, uh, for more money to shareholders. And at that point in time, you need to have a compelling investment case. Yeah. And at that point in time, very few people will be able to have a compelling investment case. So that would trigger consolidation. I mean, we're seeing it in, in certain markets. You see Bankia, Caixa, and Spain. You see a sort of in-market consolidation. You see in Italy, of course, uh, Intesa buying up uh, Ubibanca, and there's still talk about more yeah. happening there. Um, of course, famously, in a couple of weeks ago, there was this report which uh, about Credit Suisse and UBS, you know, considering a deal. Um, I mean, but so do you think? Are we? Are you thinking that there's some that this has to be sort of in-market domestic consolidation, and then the next step is sort of cross-border? Or do you think there is sort of enough, there are enough synergies from merging banks across borders, in different countries, given how much they spend on R&D and, you know, technology? Or, I mean, how do you see yeah, it, but, like, playing but yeah, out? Yeah, I mean, first, there is definitely more uh, scope uh, for, uh, for domestic consolidation. But this uh, nonsense of the national champions is like, uh, you know, uh, something that, you know, you, you only hear by now in Europe. So, I mean, that's really something that has uh, lost its uh, is traction. So I think that in order to really develop uh, uh, coherent uh, uh, and, and, and sustainable strategies, you need to open up to cross-border. And by the way, the issue is not just about cost savings. There is also complementary uh, how you can complement uh, uh, business models and diversification. One of the big issues we we saw the advantage uh, we had was you know that UBS we had great business and geographic diversification over the cycle that allowed us although we were we are not one of the largest actually uh, on the GCF we are mm. pretty low in the, in the scale we have been able to go through you know the last nine ten years you know uh, in in always being able to get you know uh, respond to market conditions. The big, one of the biggest issues we face today is over over capacity, but also lack of uh, diversification by many uh, players who have excellent capabilities that cannot be deployed across the border. And for me, it's quite clear that the existence of one currency, one central bank, one so-called uh, regulators in Europe, and having no possibility, true possibility, to, to have a uh, combination, you know, is, 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 is not, is not, something doesn't, doesn't add up here. Yeah. And, and, and I see, no, no, the good news is that you see the ECB themselves are 
basically saying yeah. they do welcome uh, consolidation and you know uh, why and uh, and why now it's another question but it's positive uh, that they at least signaling that uh, there is a willingness to consider and I do believe that they would consider and allow consolidation cross-border if it makes sense right I hear still too many people saying that regulation is the reason why things cannot happen. I don't believe that regulators can design uh, ad hoc regulations for, uh, sorry, a regulation ex ante that predetermine how to regulate certain new realities that gets created. Mm. Therefore, it's up to banks and management and boards of banks to come up with ideas that, you know, from a political standpoint of view and from a regulatory standpoint of view, get traction because they are credible. So put the deal forward and then work it out. (laughs) But of course, certain, you mentioned national champions and I return back to that UBS Credit Suisse thing. Okay, you don't, I'm sure you don't want to comment on that. But I mean, the idea that, you know, certain regulators or central banks are worried about the concentration. I mean, in that case, for instance, you'd have a bank with a balance sheet that is, you know, whatever, 4x the size of Switzerland's GDP. I I suppose there's this sort of, there's this tension between, I don't know, let's say a French the, the creation of a yeah. French national champion between a SOC Gen BNP merger and you know how that would would reflect. While on one hand there'd be well, it's a national champion. On the other hand, it creates concentration risk yeah. that they are probably freaked out about. Yeah, look, you know, I, I of course I, I will not comment on on on, on that uh, uh, rumor, and uh, but uh, but uh, but I can comment on this topic because it has been a topic until very recently used. Uh, uh, both in Switzerland, um, very much in Switzerland, about too big to pay and how big we are compared to GDP and so on and so forth. If I look around countries, other countries, uh, you know, the, the, that, that percentage, you know, if you keep uh, standalone big banks in Switzerland, they are not so far off in places like Singapore or if I look at uh, places like right. the U- even the UK. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the truth of the matter is that you know, it's a legitimate point to raise, but then you need to look at in depth into what it is that you have on those balance sheets and what is the underlying economy. And last but not least, which, by the way, is not an excuse or a license to, to do things, but if anything, the financial crisis has proved that even back then, UBS was not, was not too big for Switzerland, hmm. right? So, and actually, if you think about, I, I'm you know, we, we were very... Uh, keen uh, to support uh, the first wave of too big to fail be- for the reason I mentioned before it was a, there was a need for regulation to come in and contain some of the nonsense that was uh, done the, the problem was that the excess of regulation every year and the paranoia about around too big to fail and being too big compared to the economy has also costed us uh, uh, from a financial center standpoint of view in Switzerland an opportunity to be Better, even better position than we are today, even better position. So the last 10 years, we were very focused on restructuring and charging and having to fight to contain further regulation. Because you know that I never really say less regulation. I always call for no more regulation. Like basta. 
<laughs> no. Well, I mean, interest. You, you think about over the ten years, you've also had to deal with the the change in bank secrecy laws, which for a period yeah. of time was sort of the Swiss bank secret sauce. That has certainly changed. I mean, I look at your wealth management business. It's uh, it's not as it's a completely different business than than yeah. a Swiss than people would have thought about a Swiss bank twenty years ago. Yeah, but you, you know, also that one. Back, back then, uh, we had uh, already uh, two trillion of, of clients' assets, and if you take out even US uh, half of it, you know, you can call it down to a trillion. So, going through the all the um, 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 the process of uh, self uh, self uh, declaration of uh, of assets has basically has resulted in less, you know, less than ten percent. Of our assets, okay. you know, uh, so less than under 80, 80 billion maybe that yeah. got regularized, right? You know, we know that many of them are money that were in Switzerland before the, the, the Second World War or mm-hmm. after the nineteen sixties, and, and so on and so forth. So, so it's not like Switzerland was a strong financial center because all the money in Switzerland was untaxed. So that a myth. Uh, but but clearly, uh, I would say that. Well, I didn't that say all of the money. No, no, <laughs> so, no, 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 no. Yeah. You didn't say. But there is a belief right. that uh, everything that you know. Uh, of course, uh, uh, that process has costed a lot of uh, you know some revenues because of course you lose assets. Some of the assets stays with the bank. Some assets goes in stays with the bank, but in another country, some assets goes uh, uh, somewhere else, right? Or, or but. Uh, uh, we had uh, a change in uh, in uh, in, um, in, uh, in the interest rates environment. We had a change in the competitive landscape. The commissions you earn for doing a transaction today, the stamp duty, the stamp tax in Switzerland mm. is higher than what a, a, a high net worth <laughs> individual would pay in commissions. Wow. Right. So there was a lot of changes that and, and the cost of regulator uh, that, that goes on. So in that sense. The business has changed a lot, uh, and and again uh, shows the ability of the system in general, uh, also in Switzerland, to adapt. Of course, in Switzerland, if you look at it, we had ten years ago three hundred plus banks, and now we have two hundred. So right. I mean, it's a, yeah, the, the a market is responding. Consolidation. Coming back to that topic. Uh, let me ask you: your next gig, you're going to be the chairman of Swiss Re. Mm-hmm. So why? What's so exciting about reinsurance, and, and and for you? I mean, what's what's the challenge for you on that? And and what are you bringing to bear? As you know, what is, how does your finance, your experience as a banker, then help you with that, that challenge? Well, first of all, I think that you know Swiss Re is one of the most prestigious name in in in, in, in the financial services industry, and and and, and definitely in, in the insurance. Uh, and reinsurance sector is a global firm based in Switzerland. Uh, half of the balance sheet has something very much in common with what I've been doing in the last sure. uh, in my career, but almost also in the last few years. Uh, so, so a global firm, you know, my experience uh, as a manager, I think, can you know, evolving into a chairmanship role uh, can can uh, hopefully help. On the other end, the attraction for me is that I can do that, but also learn uh, some things uh, new and different, and uh, quite fascinating uh, in, in 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 the way uh, they do it. So I'm, it's a it's a good mix. So yeah. and so I can stay close, leveraging on many of my skill set, and then and and, uh, and uh, staying close to Switzerland, but 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 global. 
You're going to have some and free time now? Oh, a little bit more free time? Of course. <laughs> what, are, what are you going to do? Well, free, free between jobs, you mean? or No, yeah, in between. And then when you're, you're not going to be, you're going to be a non-exec chairman? I think I don't know if I'm going to have more free time uh, overall, but definitely I will have probably a more flexible I will able I will be able to uh, arrange uh, my schedule uh, um, more than I'm be able to do today. So does that mean more skiing, or does that mean more? <laughs> what kind of what are you going to end up doing? You think? Well, I like probably to to ski a little bit more during the winter time. But uh, the good news about uh, uh, even before uh, uh, COVID, uh, uh, I think. Um, uh, it was the case, but after COVID, the good news is that we all realize we can do a lot of work and we don't need necessarily always to be physically closed. Of course, you need to know the people because that's very important to get sure. the dynamics. But from time to time, some of this uh, physical presence was it's not really. So before we close, just, uh, I mean, can you think back to any sort of, when you look at your career, any clients or deals or so what would sort of be like the highlights if you were to think back of sort of people you worked with or deals you were involved in no i mean look you know with so many in my merrill days and uh, and only credit days and also at ubs i mean that it would be uh from a deal standpoint of view i mean i i i i remember as a trader uh, more as a manager being involved in large transaction in the approval in managing uh managing uh not only good deals, managing also uh, problematic positions was also a fascinating uh, <laughs> exercise. Not you know, not that I'm a masochist, but you know, was uh, was definitely something that helped. I think that at the end of the day, it was more with clients interaction and uh, also seeing clients from a the institutional side in my early days to the corporate side, and then at UBS uh, getting to know many of those corporate and entrepreneurs more from a wealth. Uh, and personal standpoint of view and, and getting really to see how many of them are uh, are passion and, and you could really understand that it was not just luck, you know, that you could still see how they are focused on, on improving and doing their best and they enjoy what to do, which at the end of the day was also always my big driver. You know, I got to the position I am today because I never thought and I never really put myself into I want to be there, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. I always did what I like to do. Right. And uh, and things have been coming natural and, and so with, with with some excitement. So what I learned from from those clients is, is that one and you know, of course many of them are great and uh, you know and uh, but uh, maybe maybe it would be an injustice to to many people if I just put up uh, one or the, or the other. No, I get it. I get it. Well, look, Sergio, good luck with your last month at the sure. bank and uh, <laughs> entry you. to the reinsurance business soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Freddie Joyner in New York. If you haven't already done so, please sign up on iTunes and anywhere else you satisfy your audio cravings for The Exchange, The Views Room, and other Reuters podcasts. You can also check us out at BreakingViews.com and on Twitter at BreakingViews and at Rob1Cox. Thanks for tuning in and arrivederci.